This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. Today's episode is all about privacy. What are the big issues now? What are the upcoming privacy concerns we have to watch out for? And what has privacy meant during COVID-19? Our guest today is a leader in the field. Anne Kavukian was Ontario's privacy commissioner from 1997 to 2014. She's now executive director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, and she's a pioneer for the idea of privacy by design. Anne joins us now. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, great to have you on. Thanks very much. What are your top concerns right now about privacy? I know there's so much terrain we can cover and and, and different things we're going to go into, but right now, what are the things that that you are most focused on? I'm really concerned that we're returning to a zero-sum mindset. By that, I mean zero-sum means you can only have one positive gain in one area, always to the detriment of the other area. So in this case, we're talking about the pandemic. Everyone is, fear is abounding. You have to get a vaccine. There is such pressure on people to get a vaccine. And forget about privacy. Forget about people's sensitive medical data, this data that should not be shared with the public. People shouldn't have access to it. It's all about the pandemic interests, public safety versus privacy. Get rid of privacy. That's what concerns me enormously. So you believe we could do both things at the same time? We could say, all right, we have a virus here. It's it's serious for a lot of folks. Uh, let's encourage people to get vaccinated. But at the same time, we can deal with these concerns and we should be, but we haven't been. Absolutely. It's like that with all incidents over time. Uh, think of terrorist incidents. Think of 9-11. Obviously, there was enormous fear during that time and measures were introduced for surveillance purposes. But once the terrorist incident, the emergency ends, often those measures that have been introduced to get rid of privacy, they continue. So what I'm so concerned about, there's this pressure now, of course, on everyone getting a vaccine passport. First and foremost, this should be only information you share with your physician. It's very personal medical information, health-related data, deserves the strongest protection possible. And we're just ignoring all of that, making this all public. And you see, once your vaccine passport data is retained at a particular site, there will be information associated with it um, relating to uh the geolocation data where you you posted it and there's enormous fears now 
that these vaccine passports are going to act, they're, they're saying like a virtual bouncer, that they will create a new inescapable web of geolocation tracking surveillance, which is the exact opposite of privacy and freedom. What are some of the the issues that we're doing right now that we, we could be doing completely differently? Like, you know, when I have had to go to restaurants and they say, okay, scan your phone here to get the menu because they wanted to do away with paper menus or so forth or do the contact tracing, scan your phone here. I mean, I, I didn't know, I don't know the technical backend stuff of all that, but I was like, ah, this is kind of icky. I just, can I just write my name down on the form for the contact tracing? So I did, or with the menu thing, I was like, just give me the menu. You know, I just want to look at the paper menu like I've done, you know, throughout my life, that kind of thing. And yeah. I know there's some people who just love doing the new digital stuff and I'm, I'm just not crazy about it. And I'm glad at least for now where I am in Ontario and Toronto, I've been able to, to do that stuff. Well, the, the digital is more likely to lead to uh, surveillance because then they can retain that information uh, relating to you at a particular time, at a particular place. And I know people think it's crazy when I say surveillance will abound. Right. But in this day and age, surveillance is abounding. If someone is interested in finding your whereabouts on a particular date and time and where you've been going, it's not going to be difficult to do that. That's why they're talking about these new scanning technologies, these digital measures as being this inescapable web of tracking because the potential for your information to be tracked and surveilled exists. And that's what concerns us. You see, privacy Privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. You cannot have free and open societies without a solid foundation of privacy. So we have to protect it and guard it whenever we can. Now, and I know normally when you do speak about privacy, you're speaking about it in terms of technological effects. I think that just invariably is the case in the 21st century. But one thing uh, that I was thinking about as you were just talking about vaccines and privacy, there's also a change in... I don't know what the term is, like social privacy, and that even if there's no iPhones around, there's still the kind of expectation that people will be divulging personal information uh, about each other. I mean, the whole idea of, of pushing uh, for your friends and family members to get vaccinated is then we hear these messages, well, don't have an unvaccinated person over for Thanksgiving dinner or what have you. And of course, the entire way that you can you can fulfill that is by screening the people who come into your house, by asking them uh, yeah. for whether they're vaccinated or not. Now, we've taken to just kind of assume that. Everybody has had 100 conversations like that the past few months. But would you find that that is also a privacy concern? It's a huge privacy concern because you have to understand there are many reasons why people may not get a vaccination. I mean, I'm not anti-vax. I'm pro-choice. And some individuals are immunocompromised. They cannot get a vaccine. They may have allergies to it. You may recall, or perhaps you won't, right at the beginning when vaccines were first coming out, they said, if you have any kind of allergy that requires an EpiPen, for example, don't get the vaccine. Bad news. No one is saying that anymore. So people are very huh. concerned that there are reasons why they shouldn't get a vaccine, medical reasons, but no one is hearing about it. These are the concerns that I have that will proliferate over time and will impact our social interactions. There's no question. One thing that I found really odd and quite frankly, downright creepy and disturbing was the news came out that two Ontario PC MPPs, two members of Doug Ford's government caucus here in Ontario, 
were not vaccinated. The names of who those two people were, those two young women, uh, were made public, so we knew that. Uh, They did, I guess, discuss their issue, and I think their reasonings were eventually presented, and they presented their reasons. Uh, The Ontario Liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, at one point actually called for like some sort of probe or investigation into this issue, and I was like, this is really kind of sketchy. Like, you can totally say everybody should be vaccinated and and then, oh, two people aren't. Okay, well, what's that about? Without saying, like, we need a full-blown commission into <laughs> investigating why these two young women made this choice, whether you agree or disagree with their choice. It's crazy. It's like you have to investigate these poor individuals who have made the choice, I'm sure, for very good reasons. And it's their business. This is your privacy. This isn't something that should be investigated and debated. It's not like they've broken a law. It's it just this is what concerns me enormously. It's getting to the state of law enforcement has to be invoked and investigate these individuals. This is this is going to eradicate our privacy and lead to such a surveillance society that my fear is we may not be able to get back out of. And that's what always concerns me whenever there are these emergencies, that the ability to pull back from this, see, vaccine passports are an infringement of our privacy associated with our sensitive medical data. And they will, and they are leading to highly intrusive systems of surveillance associated with your geolocation data collected at various sites, et cetera. And this kind of what well, people are, some people are calling it vaccine surveillance. Um, this is what we have to fear. I guess part of the challenge, because pandemic measures are all about where people are going, who's going, where they're going, and whether they should or shouldn't go there. I mean, almost every single pandemic measure or restriction has some form of privacy invasion in terms of keeping tabs on on, on where people are going, does it not? No, I agree. And there are these, um, you know, these type of passports globally. That's why the kind of surveillance we're talking about is enormous. Uh, you know, New York has the Excelsior Pass. There are passes in, in the EU. Here we have ours. I mean, these are the concerns that are mounting that once the pandemic uh, passes, and it will move on, um, that these measures that have been put into place will continue and will continue continue to erode your privacy and expand surveillance, vaccine surveillance. Uh, So, Anne, one of the complaints that people have made who have followed emergency preparedness over the years is that uh, the pandemic response team should have never been led in any province uh, in Canada by a chief medical officer. Instead, it should have been an emergency planning head. And we have emergency planning uh, bureaus in every province in Canada. They should have been in charge. And then the chief medical officer would have been one of the primary people involved, but not uh, the singular person. And I could also imagine um, the position that you held for almost 20 years in Ontario, Ontario's Privacy Commission would have also been at the table. I've heard a lot of complaints about how not enough voices are at the table, at sort of the command table. If you had been at the command table, if the privacy commissioner had been there, why, how can we take, because we've established that there's so many privacy violations now, could we have done pretty much what we're doing right now, but have done it better? Absolutely. And I agree with you. Where are the privacy commissioners? Why aren't we hearing from them? Why aren't they all over this? Because this is a huge issue. And we're not suggesting, you know, I hate the reason I hate zero sum models is it's either or win lose. We're not right. suggesting 
that it should be privacy versus public health. Of course, you need both, but you can have both. And we need solid measures and people in charge who are um, doing this, just like you recommended in terms of who should be leading this. And my concern is there's also a lot of documentation, articles from scientists, epidemiologists, doctors, that take an opposing view to the views you're hearing about in mainstream media, but you're not hearing about them. They've been completely shut out. These are some of my concerns. One of the other things that has happened in Ontario recently that I feel would be a much bigger deal if we were not preoccupied with talking about the pandemic was the rollout of something called Ontario's digital ID, something that I know you're very familiar with these with these concepts, digital IDs. It's just been announced during the pandemic. The rollout is beginning. Um, I'm not going to try and explain what the digital ID is because I might not do it as well. How would you explain what a provincial digital ID is? What they're trying to do is replace, for example, driver's license that you have in paper form or your OHIP card, things of that nature, make it digital in nature so that if you lose the paper or whatever, you don't have to worry about it. It is retained in digital form at all times. And I, I can understand why people are doing that. But enormous, enormous protections have to be invoked. And in fairness to the government, they have said, look, we know that this data is very sensitive. We're going to encrypt it. We're not going to retain it in centralized form. They've introduced a number of measures that will be privacy protective. But what I always say is trust but ver- verify. You have to verify all of what is being claimed by the government is going to take place to make sure it's actually being rolled out. So we have to have audits. Again, I don't know where the privacy commissioners, I would be looking under the hood all over the place to ensure that the claims being made about the privacy protective measures that the government intends to introduce, that they're in fact in place and being you know, uh, made responsibly. There's all kinds of encryption you can have. You can have very strong encryption or weak encryption, you know, all that kind of thing. Someone has to investigate this. We need to audit all of these activities. So I've got the Ontario government's digital ID website up explaining all of this. And they say, uh, as an individual, you can use the digital ID to prove your identity when you, and they give some examples, uh, make an age sensitive purchase, like buy a lottery ticket, apply for uh, government assistance, access and use vaccination records, open a bank account. And it says as a business, you can use digital IDs for hiring new employees, proving identity, verifying customers' identity. I go, well, hold on a second. How does this all interact with each other? Because, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I, I want to say I don't want to be dystopian, but I guess I say, yes, I want to go there and I want to do the worst case scenario. And then you can tell me uh, how much of it is, is, is potential, how we safeguard against it. We're talking about this, this digital thing that has my vaccine records. It has my financial info and, uh, and I guess it can all talk to each other. I mean, a, an employer is going to access some of it. The uh-huh. banks can access some of it. The government's going to access others. Uh, there's hackers out there who are smarter than government programmers, I think. So I've heard. Yes. So I, Like, this sounds a little tricky. It makes me very nervous, not because the intention isn't good. The government is trying to make life simpler for people. But in rolling this out, and like you said, all the complexity involved, there are so many measures. The potential for a hack seems enormous. Look at what's happened in in Newfoundland and Labrador. They've had, oh, horrible hacks of their health data. Over 100,000 individuals' health information has been accessed by hackers and health, um, the Ministry of Health's employee data. This is not something that can easily be avoided. 
So the enormous measures that have to be put into place before this goes live in terms of securing the data, this is off the screen. I mean, I would hire the, the white hat hackers to try to break into it, to make sure that they can't. Right. Because the, the odds are someone will break into it. And like you said, it's the most sensitive information. It's health information, it's financial information, it's employers accessing employee data and on and on. This is huge. Okay, but here's the problem, uh, saying, okay, it's good intentions. We've got all of this together. This is the point of what it's to be used for now. But a digital ID, the genie's not going back in the bottle. It's going to continue forever. So the Ontario government only means it for these three things right now, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, surely, surely they're going to slightly tweak the way it's being used. And presumably, they would be tweaking it in a more expansive way as opposed to a constricting way. Am I crazy to think that's possible? No, not at all. That's a safe assumption to make. The The hope is, and, and I'm challenging them on this, they're saying that they're not going to retain this data in a centralized database, which means that theoretically, each individual would have control of their own uh, digital ID and would only be able to reveal it if, if they consented to it. This is very complicated because people are going to say, oh, my God, I don't have to consent every time. You know, just put it out there. That There's going to be so much confusion as to how this will operate and the measures that need to be taken to keep your data protected. And this is what concerns me. The government is saying the right things, but that's why we need someone to look under the hood and make sure the measures they they intend to put into place are being executed very, very securely. We'll be back in just a moment after this message. And I described in the introduction that you're the pioneer of the idea of privacy by design. I just want to take a moment uh, to ask you, what is privacy by design? What, what does that mean? How does it work? Privacy by design is all about being proactive. It's a privacy, it's a model of prevention, much like you have a medical model of prevention. You want to prevent the medical harms from arising. I want to prevent the privacy harms from arising, not just offer remedies after the fact. Privacy laws, which are very important, kick in after you've had the data breach or privacy infraction and hmm. try to fix the problem. I want to prevent the problem by being proactive and baking these measures into uh, your operations, bake it into the code so it's an essential component. How do the software developers, the corporations, the governments, how are they responding uh, to you and your like-minded colleagues who are doing these endeavors, are you seen as a as a partner from the ground floor? As I understand, you're you're basically saying this idea should be. Do they see yeah. you as? How do they how do they see you? Are you are you are you are you being? Is this idea being uh, properly welcomed? I'm delighted to say that it is being properly welcomed. Privacy by design has been translated into 40 languages. Um, several years ago, there was a new law introduced in the European Union called the General Data Protection Regulation. It's huge. It's very comprehensive. It embeds personal control in the part of the data subject. But they also included my privacy by design in the law. So it's taken off. I offer privacy by design certification because companies come to me and they want to be certified for privacy by design. They want to tell their customers the links they're going to to, to protect their privacy. It's, it's growing like leaps and bounds. Thank God. <laughs> We broke down Ontario's digital ID. I'm hoping you can break down for me 
the Internet of Things and any potential uh, challenges we face with that. The Internet of uh, Things, of course, being uh, when we get 5G Internet everywhere such that all of our devices are increasingly connected to the net. A lot of us, I have the ability to adjust my temperature and air conditioner on my phone right here. That's a pretty common thing, but we know we're gonna be seeing more of that with the refrigerator and the toaster and you name it, everything else, which is really exciting and potentially nerve wracking as well. Well, it should be nerve wracking because the internet of things, it's like the wild west. It's just running out the door at an amazing pace without any thought or very limited thought given to privacy and security. That's what concerns me. I'm all for IoT, but you have to embed privacy and security into these devices before they go running out. And right now they are running out, uh, which is why there are a lot of problems and th there are lawsuits against the Internet of Things. And uh, it'll go on and on for a while because in the excitement of developing these technologies, uh, people aren't devoting the time required to embed privacy and security into them. So stay tuned. You're going to see a lot of problems uh, with IoT before uh, they disappear. And to go all dystopian again, so if I have a device in my home that is connected to the internet and it has either some form of a camera on it or some form of a microphone oh. in it on it, is it conceivable that somebody can, can gain access? Oh, of course. Beware. I mean, you've all heard about Alexa. Um, the, this story I heard of a few months ago, uh, this woman calls her best friend and she says, well, what's wrong with your marriage? I didn't know you and your husband were having problems. And the woman says to her, what are you talking about? We haven't told anybody oh, about dear. our problems. And the woman said, oh, but I heard about it. Alexa. Um, I heard it from Alexa. So the <laughs> Alexa was Alexa's on. gossiping about you. That's right. Alexa was on <laughs> when they were having this heart to heart about their marital problems. And that got conveyed to this other woman who has an Alexa. I mean, th wow. these are the nightmare stories you're just beginning to hear about. That is, you have to watch your devices. It's like people say, oh, good watch thing. That, good thing <laughs> the cat right. can't talk or the dog can't talk or whatever. Yeah, but the toaster can. That's right. You have to turn them off. I'm not kidding. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, I know some people who there's the little, the camera on top of the on top of uh, the laptop and they have like duct tape over that unless they need to use it. Do you recommend people yeah. do that sort of stuff? I think it's a great idea. Uh, whether it's necessary or not is questionable, but it cannot hurt just in case it does collect your information. You want to preserve your privacy and then in your home, that's your bastion of privacy, it should be. Now there is one company that says, this stuff's never gonna happen. Everything's <laughs> totally hunky-dory, that company, is Huawei. Huawei would like to participate in the building of Canada's 5G infrastructure grid. I understand there are some back channel uh, bits of drama going on between our, our Five Eyes partners, the United States and, and the UK are telling Canada, guys, please, please don't do this. The basic idea being you need these companies to help build the 5G infrastructure, which would go into the internet of things. Huawei says, hey, we can do this. Let us be a part of it. I believe Ericsson and a couple other companies are already doing that here in Canada, uh, but Justin Trudeau still doesn't want to make a decision on oh. Huawei. What are your thoughts? Because Huawei has has some uh, has some executives here in Canada and some lobbyists who I'm sure will talk my ear off about how it's totally fine. 
oh, Huawei does have amazing technology. There's no question. But they also have the ability to have, you know, China intercept the communications. I mean, they're connected. There's no question. So do you want to risk it? I mean, why is the UK and the US, they're saying no to Huawei for very good reason, that the potential for surveillance is very strong. Now that we're talking about China, a lot of people think that the things happening in China are at least a canary in the coal mine for us in terms of, well, they don't have a digital ID. They have this thing called the social credit system, which is a digital ID uh, kind of on steroids. Um, How would you describe the social credit system and and what sort of concerns it brings to people in China? It, It just makes me gag. They have social credit scores for everyone. Everyone has a social credit score. And if you jaywalk too much, you have a lower score. I mean, it's ridiculous. I heard this story. Uh, and how do they know you're jaywalking? Because I know you're not really making that up. Like they do kind of no, pay attention to that stuff. Everywhere. Cameras exist everywhere that pick up everything about you, your communications, everything. It, it's just there's no privacy, obviously, in China. There was a story also, this is heartbreaking. This young student finishes high school. He's brilliant. He aces everything. He wants to go to university. He applies to universities in China. He gets rejected from them all. Why? Because the social credit scores of his parents are unacceptable. They're too low. Can you imagine you're punishing the child because of the behavior of the parent? They jaywalk too much or whatever. It's ridiculous. And I guess why I take this so seriously is I know throughout the 1990s and and other periods, we were very optimistic that China was becoming more like us. They were becoming like the West, welcome them into the WTO. Let's do so many deals with them, open branches there and everything. But I I think it's reasonable for me to say that if anything, that's been proven to be the flip side and almost (laughs) we are becoming perhaps slightly more like China. Oh, God help us if we are. But you're absolutely right. China's surveillance has grown dramatically. There is no ability to escape that. And I pray that that doesn't happen here in Canada. What should regular individuals do to make sure that these things, you know, don't happen? I mean, we're we're talking about, I don't even want to say worst case scenarios, because I know some of yeah. these things that you've warned about in previous years have been proven to, to in part come true. How do people escalate the <coughs> privacy issues to the level they need to be? You know, one thing I do, and I suggest to people to do it, whether you're buying something online or in in a real store, physically, you're present. And I make the purchase, and often they'll ask you for your postal code or something. And I'll say, oh, um, what do you do with the postal code? Do do you share it with third parties? I ask questions. And the person, the clerk, won't have a clue what the answer, but they'll go get their manager. And the manager will come and say, oh, you're concerned about your privacy. Oh, well, in that case, we can do this, we can do that, we can encrypt the data. They have measures in place, but you need to express your interest in Uh, privacy to engage that. So I urge everyone to do that. Turning location services off on your phone, is is that a valuable thing? Some people say it doesn't really matter that they can, places like apps or whatever still go around it. It's a good question. Um, the, the only negative associated with it is there may be a need to actually have your location services available to you. Hmm. So you have to be careful, but it's probably right. there anyway. I want to talk to you about a rather odd project that was planned for downtown Toronto. It's not happening anymore called Sidewalk Toronto, where Alphabet, Google's parent company, got, I guess, the rights, you could call it, for yeah. a, a large bit of acreage 
a piece of downtown land that had previously not been developed because it was more industrial land. And they said, yeah. this is the great opportunity to create a smart community, a community entirely plugged into a grid where everything from garbage collection to uh, the temperatures and the rain precipitation and I think who's standing where and what and everything's yeah. going to be on the grid and smart and it can be sort of, if not controlled, at least kind of monitored and directed from a central hub. And you were at the forefront of individuals saying, okay, maybe sounds kind of cool, but boy, there are some concerns with having an entire neighborhood that every inch by inch is like this. Well, the interesting thing, Anthony, they approached me and they wanted to hire me to embed privacy by design into the smart city. Great. And I said, great, I would love that because I live in Toronto. I want this to be as privacy protective as possible. And I studied it and I said, okay, what we have to do is we have to de-identify data at source. Meaning, because the sensors, the technology is going to be on 24-7. I said, the minute anything picks up, anything that's personally identifiable, we have to strip the personal identifiers from it. And they said, great, we'll do that. And everything went along fine uh, along those lines until they got criticized by Jim Balsilli about something. It wasn't even about the privacy thing, but they, they got very, very concerned. And so I'll never forget the board meeting at which I had to resign. Because at the board meeting, they said, and this is the only thing they didn't consult with me on, they said, oh, um, we want all of you companies, the companies who are participating in the development of the smart city, to de-identify data at source and embed privacy by design. But of course, we can't make you do it. It's, it's, it's up to you. And the uh... minute they said that, oh, for God's sakes, like they're going to do this on their own. And I literally, I resigned the next morning and they were shocked and horrified. Why are you resigning? And I said, because you didn't talk to me about this and now we're not going to have any privacy at all. You're leaving this up to people's goodwill. Are you kidding me? So unfortunately, and it just ended up disappearing and there is no more um, alphabet smart city happening in Toronto anymore. It just fizzled away. So this is the problem. You have to walk the talk always when you say you're going to do something you have to follow through and that's why i always say we have to look under the hood and make sure they're doing what they said they're going to do but you did believe that there was a way to do this properly i did because they're always is. see if you say no to everything they're going to go around and go back to the zero-sum model and say okay forget about privacy we need to have a smart city forget about privacy no you don't forget about privacy you figure out how to do both that's why i hate zero-sum either or models we can have positive some multiple positive gains at the same time. You just have to devote some thought and attention to it. But I, I got to be cynical here. If I'm a CEO of a company involved in any project that is doing mass data collection, what is the point of me getting that data if I cannot do data mining and I can't sell it and I can't turn it into marketing material? You can do data mining. You can do an enormous amount. You just can't do it in a way that reveals personal identifiers. Mm, okay. And the reason you want to do that is because when you reveal those personal identifiers, you're going to lose those customers. See, there's such a competitive advantage to embedding privacy, privacy by design, because customers love it. It builds trusted business relationships where trust is, there's such a trust deficit right now. So I always, you know, I talk to companies all the time. I go into the boards of directors and they, you know, they're shaking their heads. They don't want to see me. And I say, give me 10 minutes. Let me tell you how you can do your business interests and protect your customers' data in a way that will increase their loyalty and will give you greater business. Then they're all in. They want to hear all about it. And we figure it out from that point on. It's all doable. 
Now, I know there's a lot of people who aren't too concerned about their data getting everywhere because they go, well, I know it's just corporations who want it to sort of micro-target me uh, for their goods and so forth. And to be honest, I'm kind of fine about that. It might tell me about a few sales. I'm not that concerned. There are others who go, and, and I reference the China social credit system for a reason. Okay, fine. But this whole this sets a framework and a stage for controlling society. Absolutely. And what I say to people is if you have no problem with companies and governments accessing your personal information, great, give it away, be my guest, as long as you make the decision to do so. Privacy is all about control, personal control on the part of the individual, the data subject relating to the use and disclosure of their information. If they wanna risk it and have the gains from various companies, great, do it. But no, do it knowingly. And the thing is, some people will do it and others won't. You have to have other measures for individuals who want to have their privacy protected. It's not an either or proposition. Is there a way we can do the fine print better? Because I know a lot of people who don't even read their mortgage documents, which is something that they're signing up for, you know, 500 grand for 25 years of their life kind of thing. They don't even read those full documents. So they're certainly not reading the fine print on some app, which may be, you know, turning on their camera randomly or what have you. Oh, Anthony, I talk to people all the time about how to make sure that they, uh, know what's going on in terms of the fine print. But you see, I don't expect them anymore to review all the terms of service and all the legalese and the privacy right. policy. Life is short, but it doesn't mean people don't care about privacy. Concern for privacy is at an all time high for the past two years. It's come in in the public opinion polls at the 90 percentile, 90% very concerned about their privacy, 92% concerned about loss of control over their personal information. The answer to this is privacy by design. Because one of the seven foundational principles of privacy by design is called privacy as the default setting. What that means is you say to your customers, you don't have to ask for privacy. We give it to you automatically. It's the default setting. We are only permitted to use your personal information for the primary purpose of the data collection that you consented to. Beyond that, we can't use it for anything. If a secondary use arises down the road that we'd like to use your information for, we have to come back to you and seek your additional consent. This is a win-win all around. It's a game changer. Customers love it because it builds such trust and companies love it for that reason too. We can do this. And I wonder to what degree do we get the privacy we deserve? By which I mean, I remember when I was a kid or you know, not too long ago, of course you go to a store and you say, I'd like to buy this and you give them the cash or even the credit card and they take your money because you think a business would just be fine to take the money and be done with it. But now it's, as you said, about going to the grocery store, postal code or even address, please, or phone number. And at, at Loblaws, because you know they do it every time now, I just say no, I just say no and they know and then they don't do it. Yeah. But at other places, you'll be at a small store, or I'll be taking my kids somewhere and, and I'll just say, what? So why do you need my phone number? Go, well, we need it to create a profile or I'm like, what? No, I'm, you, you, here you got a service, I'm giving you the money, that's it. That's what yeah. we're doing here. But yet, so most people I think just, oh, okay. And they give them the information. I think that's changing slowly, Anthony. It, it is a slow ride, but most people just aren't aware of the potential egregious uses of their information. Right. And increasingly, they are becoming concerned. In the past, I used to speak to public opinion, public groups, and explain why I think they should be concerned about their privacy. I don't have to do that anymore. They already know, and they're asking me questions about how to do it. So I think slowly that's beginning to change. 
Are you optimistic then about the future of privacy? Oh, Anthony, I'm the eternal optimist because you have to be. Otherwise, <laughs> just shaking your head all the time. I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's getting easier. It's not. And surveillance is abounding and we have to remain vigilant. But having said that, there's lots of groups that are developing for this. For example, there's a something called a decentralized identity foundation consisting of all the major companies in Microsoft, Intel, etc. And it's all about decentralizing identity because that way everyone can't have access to your identifying information in a centralized manner. So there are measures taking place and encryption is getting stronger. There's ways to do this. There's something called synthetic data which de-identifies your data. So it's like a chess game. We, we always have to stay one step ahead. A crazy world out there for sure on the privacy matters. <laughs> Anne Kavukian, thanks so much for wading through it all with us, giving your expert insights. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure, Anthony. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.